Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Hear the word of the Lord in John 15, verse 9. Jesus said, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, Real Love Pays the Price. Look at somebody and say, Real Love. Pray with me, God, thank you for real love. Thank you for paying the price. Thank you for your goodness and your grace, God. I pray that you'd strengthen my body and give me the words to say that would honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's Memorial Day weekend, and uh, the the beaches are packed. Uh, Disney is packed. Universal is packed. Uh, Lakes are packed. Uh, Hamburgers are being sold off the rack. Um, and, and you made a great decision today, you came to church, and I'm thankful for that. But uh, so with so much going on, school's almost over, vacations are about to be popping off more than ever, churches talk every year about the summer slump. Listen, I want to tell you something, just because less people show up do- doesn't mean that God takes a day off. God promised to be here every time two or three gather in his name and and I want you to do the same thing I said earlier I want you to do the same thing I've been asking you for for years come when you can pray for us when you can't don't let the fact that it's summer keep you away from the Lord but all over the country uh, this weekend people are talking about Memorial Day and I hope that you have a greater understanding of what Memorial Day is about other than barbecue and beaches Uh, I've heard people say oh Memorial I love Memorial Day it's the kickoff to the summer uh, well, it's, you know, it's the last Monday in May for sure. That, that's when it goes down, and the heat is on us, but it's more than that. Memorial Day is a, is a holiday set aside to honor all the men and women who died in military service for their country. Um, this isn't just, it, it, Veterans Day is different because Veterans is for everybody who served. Memorial Day is specifically designed to honor those who paid the ultimate price. I, I put something on my social media today, uh, a lot of people won't like it, but those who served in the military understand that all gave some, but some gave all. And this is the holiday for that crowd of people. For those of us who grew up right here in North Florida, uh, we've, we've mostly always had an appreciation for our military men and women. I, I want you to know personally If you haven't heard me say it enough, I'll keep saying it as long as I have breath. I love our country, and I thank God for our military. That comes easy for me. I I was born into a military family, and I did the the big uh, Navy towns. 
I was born in San Diego, California. People wonder where I get my country accent, my southern accent. I was born in Southern California, so that just makes sense, right? No, not so much. Oh, my God. You're trying too hard if you make four syllables out of a three-letter word. Let me keep moving. Uh, I was born in San Diego, California in, a Navy, in the Navy. I went to grade school in Norfolk and then uh, later grade school in Oceana. So uh, I, I, I've done the San Diego, Norfolk, Virginia Beach thing. Thanks to the Navy, I thank God. Uh, the greatest thing the Navy ever did for me as an 11-year-old boy brought me to the west side of Jacksonville and allowed me to grow up in what I believe is still, uh, with all its problems, a fantastic place to live. Um, the Navy uh, dominated my entire growing up. As a young man, I spent three of the best years of my life in the United States Army serving this country. So Memorial Day is a big deal to me because I love freedom. And there's a price to freedom. And we, we should remember that while you're, while you're chewing those ribs, those wings, and those burgers uh, this weekend. Um, you, you, you ought to take a moment and thank God for this country. I love America. I love people who are willing to risk their lives defending our, our great country. But I, I can tell you this for sure. Patriotism is at an all-time low in our country right now. I hear people bad-mouthing the military. I hear people bad-mouthing the country. Every day I hear somebody say um, uh, on, on the news or on the Internet that America never was great. Uh, you're breathing air in this country, and you're living in this country. If you really feel that way, I recommend a map to you. Get a map, pick a country not named America, and go to that and, and find out. If America ain't, ain't your thing, rise up. There, there's plenty of countries out, out there. You People like, well, America's never been great for me. Well, go see how Pakistan will be for you. Go, go, go see how Iraq or Iran will do for you. Uh, you know, go, go to, go to uh, Zambia. Go to Zimbabwe if you want to. Go ahead. Uh, you might find out um, America, with all of its problems and all of its negative history, is a great place to live, and it's still the greatest country on the planet of this earth. I, I know f half of y'all don't, don't want to uh, agree with me, but it's the truth, the truth, anyhow. I hear people bashing this country while living in it and benefiting from it, and I have to remind myself to stay holy. I have to remind myself that God loves everybody, even people with bad ideas. Uh, I, I want us to do something right now, uh, and some of you don't do this as a regular basis, so I want to do it not as a uh, formal process, but from our heart. I want us to pray for this country together right now. I want us to pray. Um, we, we have uh, leaders at the highest level of government that desperately need the Lord. We have leaders uh, at city government, at state level, uh, over our schools, over our police departments, over our, you know, dishwashing departments, at local restaurants. At every level, people need the Lord. Amen. Let's, let's pray together for our country. God. We come to you now in Jesus' name.
and we thank you for allowing us to live here. We could have been born into a Muslim-dominated country and raised under a false religious system. We could have been born anywhere else in the world, God, but you allowed us to be here in this country. Born here or not born here, you allow us to be here and to live in this country, and we thank you for that, God. We pray right now for America. We pray for our leaders, our government leaders, our civic leaders, God, our, our, our community leaders. God, we pray that you would let this country turn to you. God, I believe that it is never too late for a national revival, and I pray that you'd bring revival to America. God, I pray that you would let America and Americans fall in love with you. Let us not stop focusing on what we disagree on, and let us agree that you are great and that you have a plan for this nation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God has a plan, and we are a part of it. If, if you're really not sure if what I'm saying is the truth, talk to somebody. Uh, Deacon Dixon served 31, 30, 30 years uh, they, they don't let you do more than that unless, unless you, you know, they don't even really let you do that unless you're super special. But traveled around the world, see? And that's why when I say stuff about how America's a great country to live in and try some other countries, he'll normally nod and take a deep breath in because he's seen other places. Some, some people never been outside of America, and they don't know. Um, there, there, there's some countries a whole lot worse to, to be living in. Is that right, Deke? Uh, and and I, I want you to understand that our country, as imperfect as it is, is where we are. And we need to learn how to make the best out of every situation. Amen? So let's, move, let's, let's, let's go on ahead and get into this. Thinking about Memorial Day uh, this, this weekend, thinking about Memorial, today, uh, Memorial Day today, the holiday for those who lost their lives in war for this great country. Um, and obviously, all of us that are here, even those of us who served and are veterans, uh, we did not lose our lives uh, in a war, but many did. And I was thinking about how not, not to downplay war, not to compare anything to the tragedy of uh, the loss of human life, but I know in my own life through experience that serving in ministry is war unto itself. Anybody ever tried to serve God in ministry? You understand there is a battle going on. Anybody ever even just try to read their Bible every day? You understand there's a battle. Anybody read enough Bible to know the Scripture says there is warfare for the believer? Can five people say amen? amen. But ministry is, is a beast unto itself. I was thinking about uh, ministry and I was thinking about casualties. I was looking at a lot of war documentaries this weekend, praying and studying and preparing for today's message. And I kept bringing back, I kept thinking back to all of the people that I know that have fallen in ministry. Uh, every church can say the same thing. Certainly we could say it and it'd be true that if everybody who ever called this their church home or even everybody who's still calling this their church home ever showed up at the same time, we wouldn't have nowhere to put them. We couldn't fit them in this building. We couldn't fit them if, if we put out the two-story building, the children's chapel, the fellowship hall. Uh, we barely couldn't stack them in the parking lot standing shoulder to shoulder. Uh, a lot of people have fallen victory to the war of daily living. But ministry is a beast unto itself. I looked at some pastor stats this week, 
uh, thinking about fallen soldiers because the Bible says that as Christians, we're soldiers in the army of the Lord. And I looked at some statistics, and you can get different level of statistics. What I encourage you to do, if you're ever looking for statistics, don't just stop with the first one you read. You'd be one of those crazy people It's like, well, 98% of people, uh, you know, drink 17 cans of Coke every day. Uh, they don't. Oh, no, it said it in, in www.imafool.com. Don't stop with the first place you read. When, but if you find statistics that are repeated on the right, on the left, in the north, in the south, on sites that you love and sites that you don't love, if you see the same stuff coming up, then you probably are narrowing in on some real truth. Because even though uh, figures don't lie, liars can figure. All right, so statistics can be used to, to prove any point. But these statistics are tried true. They're consistent. Um, they're reported uh, overwhelmingly in these same numbers. Listen, listen to some things about pastors. Uh, 90% of pastors report working between 55 and 75 hours per week, yet are joked about by even their friends with what it, what it asked, and asked, what's it like to only work one day a week, preacher? Um, 50% of pastors surveyed said they feel completely unable to meet the demands of the job. 70% of pastors reported that they are grossly underpaid and cannot provide for their families financially. 90%, and that's one of the reasons why I've always worked outside the church, as I've always had multiple streams of income, um, because I, I know that I have to do what God has called me to do and pastor this church, but God has also commanded me to provide for my family. Amen? And I, I, I don't, I don't want to ever be in that 70% who can't meet their budget. 90% say they're inadequately trained to cope with the demands of ministry. 90% said that ministry was completely different than what they thought it would be like before they entered, and if they had known, they would not have entered. Now, I've heard people say similar stuff that aren't pastors. Uh, the most ridiculous thing I ever heard, and I, I, I love him as a baseball player, but when Chipper Jones was making $15 million a year, he said, if I'd have known how political professional sports was, I'd have kept pumping gas in Atlanta. I'm going I'm to call not true on that. Uh, a lifetime of working at the local gas station, nothing wrong with that, but play, get paid $15 million a year to play a kid's game. Um, anybody, anybody can complain, uh, but these are real numbers from real people who are having real struggles. I, I believe the war is the, that Christians in general are in a war, and those who are doing ministry are high-value targets. You get in the military, you, 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 you'll find out that high-value targets are concentrated on, and they're the ones that uh, the enemy looks to take out most seriously and first. And do you know the, the, the greatest damage to this church is not that it took us three months uh, after I said it needs to happen now to get a light in the parking lot? That's not the greatest damage to our church. The greater damage to our church is not that we schedule work days and have one to three people show up to, to do work days. That, that's, that, 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 that's not the thing that can most greatly damage our church. Uh, the, 
the, the fact that we, we tried and tried and tried to address these parking lot issues and we still need work on our parking lot, that's not the thing that could most quickly damage our church. Do you know the thing that could most quickly damage our church? If I was to lose my mind, do something crazy, bring shame to the name of God, abandon the ministry, um, how, how many of y'all think that when the pastor uh, flips out and goes crazy, it greatly damages the church? This is happening all across because of these statistics that I'm giving you. Uh, many, many pastors struggle with depression. 70% of pastors say they constantly fight depression. 50% say they feel so discouraged that they'd leave the ministry if they could, but they don't have any other way to put food on the table. I have known pastors that have said that to me, and to me, that's one of the greatest shames of this current generation, that people would stay involved in ministry for the money. Uh, now, and I've told them that to their face, and uh, and it's sad. And I've had older pastors tell me, "I spent my whole life doing this one thing. I don't know how to do anything else." I don't, and holding on for Social Security age. Listen, God has not called us to hold on. God has called us to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. Amen. Uh, but these are the realities of what's filling pulpits across our na nation. Most pastors' families have been negatively impacted at a high level. Eighty percent of senior pastors stated categorically that their family has been negatively impacted by their vocation. People, people joke about how bad pastors' kids turn out, and they talk about PKs and preachers' kids, and they're notorious. Listen, they're not the only kids that grow up and freak out and get on drugs and alcohol and leave the church. They're just the ones that people focus on because it's easier to throw rocks at somebody else. But they are the ones, uh, my kids can tell you, and people who've been around uh, can tell you, my kids have been raised waiting in rooms outside my church office. From the time they were in what I called the bucket, any of y'all remember the bucket? The, the, the thing that you didn't even have to take them out of it, you just put them in that, lock them in the car seat, unlock them out of that, lay them in the floor. This, my kids were raised in the bucket waiting on dad to get done with somebody who just needed five minutes of time. Um, many pastors report that they are extremely lonely. Seventy percent don't have someone they consider a close friend, and 40 percent, uh, listen, listen to this. I rejoiced when I read this. Uh, Forty percent of all pastors surveyed report serious conflict with a parishioner in their church at least once a month. I thought, mm, I've had lots of conflict with, with church folk in my life, but I thank God it's not once a month. Um, but this is what's going on across the nation. 50% of the ministers who started in ministry didn't last five years. And only one out of ten people who ever went into ministry will retire in ministry. One out of ten. Now, these are people primarily, listen, if your pastor doesn't have a degree in a Bible, you're probably in the wrong church. That's like if your dentist don't have a degree in dentistry, get out of that chair. Okay? Um, if, if your doctor does, if, if your surgeon doesn't have some paperwork saying he's a surgeon, you probably shouldn't let him cut on you. Um, but these are people who have advanced degrees. They are people who are highly trained, and only one out of ten of them will actually make it to the end. With 4,000 new churches starting every year in America, that's a great thing, but 7,000 churches close the door every year in America to never be a church again. 
ministries war, and there are people falling by the wayside. Eleven years ago this week, I met Dave Ramsey. I went to Nashville and spent a week with him. Uh, got to have my picture taken with him. Um, I don't know why I was so surprised he was shorter than me, um, but he, he looks bigger than life on television. Um, but this guy is teaching great principles, teaching about church, lots of pastors there, um, and he put out some statistics because it was about money and finances and debt, and he said 90% of pastors who go into any type of building process resign within two years of starting date. And over half of them don't stay long enough to get it completed. And I thought, ooh, that's not good because we are under a big, we were under a huge building process at that time. Um, but I thought, ah, God, God, God will keep us. God knows what he's doing. And we've been in a church, we've been in a building process from day one. When we started this church almost 18 years ago, we started on a dilapidated, rundown place in the Clay Hill section of Middleburg, and we had to re-roof, we had to do re-siding, it was so crazy, some church folk, listen, it, whatever you do, do with excellence, amen, amen. We, I, I got there, they had window units, nothing wrong with window units, I ain't mad at window units, uh, but they had window units that were sideways in the wall, and you could stick your arm through the holes underneath the gaps in them, I'm thinking, can we board that up some kind of way? Could we fix that? So immediately went to work on the building process uh, in the summer of 2001 to fix that building. Um, boy, it was run down. It, 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 it was something, but it took a lot of work. Then we bought a ministry center in Lake Asbury and designed that and built it from scratch. It was another building process. And then we moved to College Drive and designed a building there and built that out from scratch. And then we moved to the old Sticks and Stuff building on Blanding Boulevard and designed that and, and, and rebuilt that from scratch. Uh, one, one of the biggest wastes of time and one of the, the, the funniest things that I ever did was ask the guy who was driving the Bobcat who knew what he was doing to let the preacher get in it. This dude was incredible. I mean, he was taking this, this cage with a bucket on the front of it, and he was just driving it straight into walls because we knocked down. First thing we did, we knocked down every wall in that big, giant building, um, and, and, and we had uh, an entire 40,000-square-foot uh, showroom of just nothingness. And I'm like, man, I, let me rip one of them walls. This dude was hitting walls, dropping them right where they were, scooping them up in the bucket, piling it all up, and, and, and I wasn't even leaving dust behind. I got in that thing for five minutes. I knocked down half of a wall, spread the debris out across the whole building, um, but it was a huge process. It was a huge undertaking, and then we came here five years ago, and started chasing out rats and rebuilding and still rebuilding this place. We've been doing major building projects for the entire 18 years of ministry. And I just want to give God glory today uh, thinking about fallen people for our nation's history. Thinking about fallen people in ministry. Thinking about with all the statistics and many who tried to subvert God's plan 
for this ministry. I, I want to give God thanks and give God glory that this church is still standing and I'm still standing as the founding pastor of this church. Now, we've had a long journey. We've had, we've had, we've had a, a, a journey that, that's been exciting. It's been difficult. It, it's been great. It's been tough. Uh, we owned the first building we were in, free and clear. But God said move, so we moved, and, and then we met in, in, in a school, and then we rented, and then we rented again. And now we're back to being in a place where we own. And I, and I thank God through his faithfulness and the faithfulness of hardworking people and big giving people um, that after leasing to own and not feeling God wanted us to buy it, leasing to own again, not feeling God wanted us to buy it, that we were able to purchase this property and we own this building and everything that's on it. And I give God praise for ownership. And this is where we're going to die. I say that if I go home today in prayer and God says, pack up and move, I'm going to ask him again. But we will do what the Lord tells us to do. We, we've proven that. We've proven that. And I want to say thank you to everybody who's here, uh, whether you've been here today is your first day or if you've been here through moves and through difficulties, if you stayed through conflict, if you stayed through adversity, I want to tell you something. I admire you. I respect you. I thank God for you. I appreciate you. And I know that God has a purpose and God has a plan for this church right here on Georgetown Drive. Let's get into the text, John 15, 9. Jesus said, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Anybody believe that verse this morning? Anybody believe that Jesus loves you? If, if you didn't have the benefit of being in a church with a good Sunday school department when you were little or a good children's church when you were little and learning songs that, that can mean something to you, you may not have held on to that simple chorus that says, Jesus loves me. This I know. For what? The Bible tells me so. It, I counsel so many people that feel left out by God, shortchanged by God, feel like God hasn't done enough for them. I want you to know God did enough for us on Calvary, and the fact that he loves us ought to just blow your wig back. The fact that he hasn't quit on us ought to just make you want to run around and be Pentecostal. He said, I've, I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. And then he gives this four-word command, remain in my love. I want to tell you something. Life's war. People are falling victim every day. Church is shutting down all the time. Pastors quitting all the time. Denominational uh, hierarchies moving preachers around to try to hide their sin and keep them from being exposed. Average senior pastor leaving every 20, 18 to 36 months, having run out of messages and, and run out of belief that he can still lead. I, I want you to know there is a key to surviving the battle, and these four words will take you a long way in that battle. Remain in his love. You got to understand, if you don't understand anything else, understand this. God loves you, and if you will just let that be central to your belief system, the battle will not break you. If you know through it all, 
in it all, in spite of it all, and beyond it all. God loves me. When people stab you in the back, when people let you down, when the pastor fails you, and when the church fails you, if you just know for sure, I know that God loves me. That's why you get old Christians, mature Christians, people that are seasoned in ministry. They don't have to quote the whole verse all the time. They can just look at each other and say, but God. And, and, and they know, isn't that the truth? And it, it, it's the process that leads us to this understanding that, that says he loves me and he's commanded me to remain in his love. It's going to take effort to remain in the Lord's love. It's going to take overcoming to, to remain in, in the things of God. It, it's going to take dying to yourself and putting up with folk to remain in the Lord's love. It's going to have it's going to take uh letting your feelings get stomped out and stomped on to remain in the Lord's love. How many people know the Bible is true? The Bible says that people will fail you. You shouldn't need scripture to know that if you've been living more than 10 minutes. But God we we understand that this this whole Christian thing is about God, not us. It's about God, not a building. It's about God, not a pastor. It's about God, not a organization. It's about having a real relationship with God. And I hope that you will always remain in the Lord's love. In verse 10, he went on to say, When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Oops. See, we were just on ideology a second ago. We were just on emotional feel-good a second ago. We were just on, I'm staying in his love, Pastor. I'm always going to love the Lord, Reverend. I love him with everything. Okay, well, the Bible is, one one of the cool things I love about the Bible is constantly defining itself. It's constantly expanding and expounding on its own truth. He said, when you obey my commandments... You remain in my love. Now, we talk a lot about principles and keys to understanding Scripture because we're a Bible church, and we look at the inverse a lot of times. And looking at the inverse of this, uh, Jesus said, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Uh, He told us to remain in his love. Now he's telling us how to remain in his love. So looking at the inverse of this statement, if you don't obey his commandments, what does that tell us? You're not remaining in his love. You're violating his his commandment. You're not doing what he says. He said, this is how you know that you're really doing what I told you to do. Not because I love him in my heart. All right, but that's like people saying they go fishing in their heart. They ain't catching nothing. But insanity. Uh, you, 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 there, there's got to be a place where the rubber meets the road. There's got to be some proof to the pudding. And Jesus said, this is the proof in the pudding. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I told you the title of the message is, Real Love Pays the Price. There's a price to be paid for becoming a Christian. There's a, a price to be paid for remaining in God's love. Now, the great thing is the price to be paid for becoming a Christian was born on Calvary's tree by Jesus of Nazareth when God came into this world as a baby born in a manger, lived a perfect life, died on a cruel Roman cross so that we could be saved. 
He paid the price for us becoming a Christian. But there is a price for remaining, not a Christian, but remaining in his love. And that price is obeying his commandments. Jesus is our perfect example, and he lived up to everything he said for us to do. He obeyed his Father's commandments and remained in his Father's love. Verse 11 says, I told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Now, here's the word of the Lord. He said, yes, he's, he's, he's being emphatic on a statement he's already made. He is co-signing on a statement he's already made. He said it, and he's saying it again, that you will have joy and that your joy will overflow. I bring you a premise today. I bring you a truth from God's word today. If your joy is not overflowing, you're missing something out of this passage right here. If you don't have overflowing joy, then you're missing something out of this passage here. He said that you got to remain in his love. The way to know that you're doing that is by obeying his commandments. If you're obeying his commandments, then you are remaining in his love. And if these things are happening in your life, then you will be filled with his joy. Now, here's what I want us to all understand. His joy is better than our joy. His joy remains. His joy is, is, is not predicated on anything external. His joy is supernatural, and he says that we'll be filled with his joy, and our joy, your joy, will overflow. Listen, if you've got a 12-ounce cup because you don't, you, know, you don't know how to pick the right fountain drink, listen, if it says 99 cents any size, Step up. Isn't that right, Carol? Step up. Get the big time. Grab that. Let me just say it. How, 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 how I feel. Grab that 44. Get that big size. Get that monster cup. Listen, if you mess around and you're paying 79 or 99 cents uh, for, for any size cup and you get that 12-ounce cup, don't, don't be mad if I side-eye you walking out. Well, I don't want to drink all that. Pour it down the drain. Make the fat cats feel it. I'm like, hey, I go to a buffet, which I don't do often because I don't like trough food that kids touch and spit on. Right? But if I, I, I should have said buffet. I should have said if I go to all you can eat. I go to all you can eat, and, and, and they say, you, you, want, you want another plate of ribs? I don't care if I'm five deep and hurting. Yes. I know I can't take them with me, but you're going to bring them anyway because I want to make the man feel it. Amen. That's just me. You don't have to be that way. But what I'm saying is if you got a 12-ounce cup and I got a 44-ounce cup, if I pour the contents of my 44-ounce cup into your 12-ounce cup, you're going to have something going on. It's the last word. Something's going to happen. It's the last word on this screen. It's going to overflow. Now, I want you to get this if you don't get anything else today. The Lord has big joy. Jesus has huge joy. He said you will be filled with 
my joy and your joy will overflow. He's the big cup. And if you ever get the Lord's joy poured into you, your joy is just going to be spilling out everywhere because there's going to be overflow because he's a great big God and he does great big things. And if you don't have his joy, then your joy can't overflow. When your joy is down, when your joy is struggling, when your joy ain't existing, you got to recognize he ain't pouring his joy into me. So what do we do? Well, we can complain about it. We can blame the preacher. It's common. That's what people do. We can criticize. We can fault fine. We can cast stones at other people. Or we can go to the book. And we just read in the book, what do, you, what do you need to do so you can have this joy? Well, you got to remain in his love. you got to be convinced that he loves you. Quit complaining about what God ain't done for you and get happy about what he has done for you. And start living out what you say you believe. Because when you obey his commandments, you remain in his joy. When you remain in his joy, he puts his joy in you and your joy, your joy will be overflowing. Verse 12 he said, this is my commandment, colon. I'm always going to tell you, Paul's on the punctuation. It'll perfect your understanding. It'll help you get this from your head and down into your spirit. Take the Bible in bite-sized pieces so you can digest it. This is my commandment. There needed to be punctuation there because this is a switch. Say switch. This is a change. This is, this is, this, this is a curveball. This, 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 is, this is something coming from a different direction. Jesus is at the end of his ministry here. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's giving his last bit of teaching to his closest followers. And for this whole time, now, now people think that the disciples were with Jesus for three and a half years of ministry. That's not true. That timeline doesn't play it out that way. The disciples didn't even stay with Jesus once they started with him. They, 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 they met him. They went back to fishing. Uh, they, they met him again. And then at some point later on, they left their nets uh, and, and followed him from there on. But they did mostly about 18 months worth of ministry with the Lord. Uh, he, did a lot, he did the first half of his ministry uh, before they got locked in with him. But they've been with him for a long time. They've seen him do great things. And for this entire time, his entire three-plus years of public ministry and his entire almost two years of talking to the same group of people on a daily basis, he had been saying, my father, this, my father, that, my father says, in my father's house, my father's kingdom, my father's commandment, my father's Word. He's been talking about his father, his father, his father, his father, his father, his father. And then he throws this switch and he says, this is my commandment. Study the Gospels. It's glaringly a switch. It's glaringly a deviation from what he's been telling these people. He's about to leave them, so he's being more personal with them than he's ever been. And he's been telling them nothing. He said, I don't tell you anything except what the Father told me. He said, I don't have my own stuff to share with you that's as important, so I tell you what the Father tells me. But here we get this switch in verse 12, and he says, this is my commandment. He's talking to people on a personal level that love him. 
He's talking to people that are go, about to go through the hardest time in their life, so he's trying to give them something to hold on to. I want to tell you, I love great gospel music. I, 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 I think everybody ought to spend time every day singing to the Lord, listening to music that bends your heart to the Lord. Uh, but I don't get my theology from songs because most songs have bad theology. That's just the reality. Most Christian songs even have bad theology. Uh, they were written to, are you ready? Sell records. These people talking about, I sat down and I wrote this song to the Lord. Uh, and then I sold it to God's people and bought a mansion <laughs> and a Lambo. Uh, listen, I ain't mad at people that work hard and use their talent for the Lord. But I don't get my theology from songs. I, I, I've always seen it this way. Talk to somebody. I know you know this, this to be true. Uh, the preacher go preach somewhere for free. The singer go show up. And get paid $500. The preacher will go preach somewhere. I, I mean, I, I preach uh, in big churches that gave me 25 bucks. Uh, that I had to drive out of state to get to. Uh, and I thank God. I told him you don't have to pay me nothing. I don't make the ministry chargeable. Uh, but I also know, do you know how much it costs? Any singer whose name you've ever heard of. Do you know how much it costs for big-time singers to come to a church and sing one four-minute song? Now, if, if you're on the level, I'll, I'll give you, these are stats that I know of personally, that I know people who've paid this money. And I, I'll give you a, 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 a white guy, uh, Charles Billingsley. Um, he does big uh, First Baptist churches all over. He's a singer of, of big note. Uh, and, and I'll give you a, 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 a guy who's more broad-based culturally, Israel Houghton and New, New Breed. Same caliber, same, same impact, same charge. You ready? One song. You ready? Going rate, $30,000. <laughs> I'll buy the CD. Thank you. Do you know if a preacher said, yeah, I'll come preach for you, I'm going to need $30,000, he'd be cast out and run out? How do we get on that? Oh, I don't get my theology from songs. get my theology from the Bible. Great song. It's encouraged a lot of people. Some truth in it. But there's a, there's, there's, there's a, a, a phrase in a contemporary Christian song that says, Late in the midnight hour. He going to turn it around, ain't it? He going to work in your favor. Well, hallelujah. But it ain't the song that you're going to hold on to late in the midnight hour. You ought to listen to good gospel music every day. You ought to sing praise and worship songs to God every day. But it is not the words to even the best hymns that are going to hold you together when you're falling apart. Listen, the Word of God alone is what's going to hold you. You better get a scripture. You better get a phrase. You better get something in this Bible that when the going gets tough, you don't have to go anywhere because you got the Word of God on recall. It can't come out of you until you put it in you. That's why we got to get into the Word so the Word can get into us. And this, Jesus was trying to make a deposit 
of his word into people. So when the midnight hour came and it was hard and everybody was vanishing and he was gone, that they would have something that they could hold on to. I remember he told me what his commandment was. Remember when we sat around with him the, right before they took him and he told us he'd been telling us for so long what his father's commandments were and what his father said. But don't y'all remember when, when he stopped and he got that look in his eye and he said, this is mine, y'all. This is my commandment to you. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. This verse Solves every problem human beings have ever had. This verse solves every conflict human beings have ever had. This verse solves every difficulty that you'll ever have with another person. Now, here's the reality. We've been command. He didn't say, this is my suggestion. He said, this is my commandment. He hasn't, he hasn't said it's a good idea. He said it's a, a commandment that we love each other, but he put criteria on it, not just love each other, because I've had people say, oh, Pastor, I just love everybody. Uh, well, if you're past five, you, you, you need to develop that concept some. You know, it's like, I mean, it's cool. I hear a five-year-old, dear God, please bless all the people and all the daddies and all the mommies, and I love everyone. Amen. That's cool if you're four. But you get grown and you're telling me, oh, Pastor Scott, I just love everybody. Uh, for real? Okay. Well, that, that's easy to say, but I'm going to tell you something. That's hard to do. Hard to do. And that's why you need the Lord to be a Christian. Because can't nobody be a real Christian but Jesus. If you want real Christianity, you got to let Jesus live through you because then you'll have the power to love each other in the same. What, what kind of way did he love us? Sacrificially. He loved us in a kind of way where he took the less and gave us the best. He loved us when we were ignorant. Thank you. One part. He loves us while we're still ignorant. He loves us when we don't love ourselves. He loves us when we're unlovable. He loves us when we're acting a fool. He loves us when we're disrespecting him. He loves us when we're disrespecting others. He loves us when we ain't reading our Bible every day. He loves us when we ain't praying right. He loves us when we ain't living right. He loves us when we ain't giving right. He loves us when we ain't thinking right. And he loves us when we ain't treating people right. But we want to say, well, I'll never trust that person again oh well i'd like to get you i just ought to get john 15 12 tattooed across my face oh, that's a joke i ain't going in that direction <laughs> love each other in the same way i've loved you if you would just even ask god to give you strength to do that you will find your life getting better love your spouse the way jesus loves you not because they deserve it but because you decided to do it. God doesn't love us because we deserve it. God loves us because he decided to love us. Love your friends and your children. When, when, even, even when they're driving you crazy. Love everybody, not because they deserve it, but because God said to do it. 
He doesn't love us because we earned it. He loved us because he chooses to. Verse 13 says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Now Jesus is talking about laying down his life for them. He's talking about a very real death, but there's also some application here uh, that we can take uh, metaphorically. Are you willing to lay down your life for your fellow believer? Are you willing to die for your brother or sister in Christ? See, we say that kind of stuff, and I've told you for years, it's easy to die. I mean, I honestly believe it. If, if uh, ISIS came in here right now and, and the three people in the room that got guns on them uh, emptied out all their weapons and they were still standing on top of us and they said, we're going to kill everybody who confesses Christ. I believe there are people in this room that would die for Christ today. I believe they'd take a bullet for Christ. And, uh, but listen, that's easy. That's easy. The bleed-out process is never more than three minutes. On a well-placed shot, you wouldn't even feel it. Listen, they put that high speed. Listen, I'm just talking to some people at church the other day about this. The, 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 the scary gun that everybody's scared of got a bullet that's only this big. The AR-15, little tiny 223 bullet, it just travels really fast. They put that high-velocity 223 right through your head, you wouldn't even feel it. You'd just be a stain on the wall. You know, I die for Jesus. Okay, praise the Lord. I hope you would. But that's easy because it's quick. And it might even be painless. You're like, well, I don't believe that'd be painless. Well, I don't recommend trying it to find out. But, you know, it, 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 it don't last. Let me tell you what's hard. Living for Jesus. Every day. Every day. Every day. That's why I really, I, I really lose patience with Johnny come lately, uh, Christians jamming me up. Everybody, everybody, want, everybody wants to have, a, have their say. Everybody wants to put their, 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 their soup in, in, in uh, their spoon in your soup, right? Uh, listen, I don't recommend you let nobody mess with your recipes, Israel. You, you've, been, you've been cooking longer than most people have been alive in this room. You're paid chef. You, you know what you're doing. But you know there'd be people to be like, I just wouldn't have made it that way. I think he put a little bit too much of this in it. And, and they couldn't cook. Best thing they ever cooked was toast, and they had to scrape the burn off that. Listen, it's easy in the beginning, and it's easy at the end. But that long bunch of living for Jesus, the Bible says it's a living sacrifice. It's a continual dying to yourself, dying to your emotions, dying to your pride, dying to your self-concepts, dying to your ideology, dying to your wants, dreams, and desires. There, there, there's no greater love, Jesus said, than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Most people won't lay down their political persuasion for their friend. But we love each other. We die for each other. I give my last. You won't even shut up. You know something I learned from Gail? One of the greatest lessons Gail taught me before she went to heaven is you cannot argue with someone who won't argue back. Twelve years being together, we never had one argument. Wasn't for lack of trying. On my part. What wasn't for lack of being, be, be, being hard-headed and stubborn. Never one time, never slammed a door, never said a curse word at each other, never, never raised a voice at each other. 
Uh, listen, I, I, I yell at a roach crawling across my patio. I mean, ne- never. Why? Because you can't get in a fight with somebody who won't fight back. You can't. And I used to think it all the time. I thought this all the time and, and, and until God graced me uh, with those 12 years with Gail. Uh, I thought that the other person always started it. People are like, Scott, man, why are you getting so much fights, bro? They started it. I ended it. And I was convinced in my mind that was the reality. I was convinced in my mind because I had justifiable reasons why they did this and they did this. And then I just had to step up and choke them out. Seemed reasonable to me. I mean, you know, a well-timed throat punch in all confusion. But I really thought that. But then in watching the way this godly woman, way better Christian than i ever been, way more mature than I've ever been, watching how she dealt with me and others, watching how she loved everyone, watching how she couldn't be ruffled. She couldn't be led into an argument. She just wouldn't argue. She'd just smile and say, oh, it's okay, baby. Let's eat ice cream. And sometimes ice cream was marriage code, so there's a whole different thing going on there. But uh, she just wasn't going to waste her life arguing with people. And I realized it's not other people that can start a fight because it's not the aggression that starts the fight. It is not the first blow or the second blow or the 50th blow that starts a fight. It's the return blow. Do you get that? And if you watch sports enough, you'll find out, even in sports, even especially in the NFL, the first guy always gets away with, with hitting somebody. I mean, he can just grab by his face mask and yank him to the ground. The referee just be standing there. But as soon as Bubba gets up and put 15-yard personal foul, it's always the retaliation because it's the retaliation that's where the fight really happens. It'd be like if me and Elder Jimmy uh, were disagreeing on something, and I just got into him hard, and he came back at me. Well, guess what? Now we're fighting. But if I just got into him about something, and he's like, you know, Pastor, I love you. We just don't see eye to eye. Uh, I'm, I, I got to go. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. We'll work through it. If I was geared up for a big fight, I'm all disappointed at this point because he refused. Now, he could have easily said, oh, you want it? You, you really want me to tell you? Oh, because And then we could have been in it. But Gail taught me that it's not the first blow that starts the fight. It's not even the second, third, third or the repetitive blow. It's when people start blowing back at each other. We say that we'd lay down our lives for each other's friend. Would you even shut up for a friend? Would you let go of your position for a friend? Would you realize maybe it ain't that big of a deal? We used to have a, I forget what the guy's name is. Some of y'all remember. It was, it was, it was uh, what was that dude's name? Country dude. He was on a couple different radio stations growing up in Jacksonville. But he would close every show. His sign-off speech was, don't sweat the small stuff. And remember, it's all small stuff. And if you really understood that, you wouldn't let life get you so bent up and twisted. And it would allow you to say, you know what? 
I want to love people to the point. Now, you, you can go all dramatic and say, oh, I'd take a bullet for, for, for anybody. Well, may, maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. But will you love them in their stupidity? See, this is what lay, lay, there, there, there's a more than one way to lay stuff down. And God has commanded us to lay our life down for our friends. And then he said in verse 14, you're my friends if you do what I command you to do. I got a whole lot more to go, but I'm, I'm going to let it go, and I'm going to finish with this one verse because everybody knows what John 3.16 says. But not everybody knows what 1 John 3.16 says. Put that up for me, Elder. 1 John 3.16 says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, um, we're talking about freedom, Memorial Day. We're talking about uh, a price being paid. And I, and I told you the title of the message is Real Love Pays the Price. We know what real love is. Because Jesus gave up his life for us. Jesus paid the price. Can we agree on that? He paid the price. He said this is the biggest love. This is the greatest love. This is real love. And Jesus did exactly that. We know what real love is. Because Jesus gave up his life for us. So, because of that, building on that, understanding what was just said, we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. I saw a meme this weekend on social media. I even shared it. It wasn't completely true in all of its essence, but it made a good point. And it had nothing to do with quoting scripture, so it wasn't anything I needed to bring immediate correction to. But it talked about the two forces in this world that willingly laid down their life for you and they talked about Jesus and the American soldier and I thought you know I like that because we need to we need to pay honor on Memorial Day to those who gave up their life for freedom in this country and our way of life listen you don't have to love America you don't even have to respect the flag they'd hang you in other countries you know they hang you in other countries or saying a negative thing about their dictator. They just hang you. They just execute you. We have so much freedom in America to do what we want to do. That freedom was bought with a price. Uh, I, I love the quote that says, pacifists prosper because brave men and women fought. Anti-American people, anti-flag people, anti-national anthem people, always looking for something to be mad about. people die so we could have this country still be a country you know there's no other country in the history of the world has ever operated over 200 years under one founding document America's unique in that way you hate the constitution you hate the flag you hate the, you hate this country uh, I recommend you leave find somewhere you love no reason to be miserable here go somewhere that treats you better you just can't find it but the uniqueness of America that has allowed us to operate for over 200 years under one founding document, uh, throughout those years, there have been lots of bloodshed. I think one of the greatest sins of America, obviously slavery. 
Slavery was going on all over the world. It's still going on in many places in the world today. There's only one country that buried 1.7 million people who fought to put an end to that horrible sin. 150 years ago, almost 2 million people died to put an end uh, to that in the bloodiest war in American history. That was the impetus for Memorial Day. To think about people who would die to make life better for others. Okay? And there, that's, that's the whole structure for Memorial Day. But in a bigger way, in an eternal way, in a supernatural way, Jesus gave up his life for us so we could have eternity in heaven. And he says, because we have seen this demonstration of what real love is, we have a responsibility. We have a commandment to keep. We ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. You don't have to pick up arms and do it. You don't have to dodge bullets to do it in the natural. But I want to tell you something. If you make a commitment to this God and this scripture, you're going to find yourself a soldier in the army of the Lord. You're going to find yourself in a battle and in a war, and you're going to at some point wonder, when is it going to be over? When do I have to keep getting beat down trying to love these people? When am I going to, have, when, when, when am I going to quit being misunderstood and criticized? When are people going to quit fighting and fussing in the body of Christ? When are people going to just try to get along? God didn't give us the answer to the when. Now, obviously, in heaven, we're going to lay down our burden. But you don't have to wait to heaven to lay down your burden in this capacity. You just have to be willing to obey the Scriptures. Are you willing to give up whatever you have to give up to pay the price for real love. Jesus said that the greatest commandment was to love God and to love people. It's easy to love God. I've never had a struggle since I got saved loving God. God is awesome. God never does anything to let me down. God never disappointed with me. God never argued with me. God, God has never done anything wrong to me. I can't say that about people. People give you reason not to love them. But Jesus said you got to love each other the way he loves us and the way God loves him. We ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. This world wants to tear us apart. It wants to rip us apart. It'll use whatever it has to use, our personality, our agenda, our carnality, our flesh, our stupidity, our political persuasion, our ethnic proclivities, our, our, our cultural norms. The world just wants to tear us apart. When the Bible says that God took the whole world and tore down the middle wall of separation that was between the Jew and the Gentile and made himself one new man, one new thing, one new type of human being, a born-again believer. He said, where there's neither Jew nor Greek, barbarian nor Scythian, slave or free person, but that all are one in Christ. See, that's the word of the Lord. But the difficulty is, if you're going to wear your republicanism so hard that you can't be one with Democrats, then you cannot obey this scripture. If you're going to wear your, your Democratic National Convention pin so hard that you can't get along with right-wingers, right then 
you are not going to be able to live out this scripture. If you're going to wear your whiteness so hard that you can't love people that are brown and yellow, you're not going to be able to live out this scripture. If you're going to wear your hurts and your pains so hard that you, that, that you can't get along with other human beings, you're not going to be able to live out this scripture. You can wait till you get to heaven to lay your burden down. You can wait till you get to heaven to get delivered from everything that's ailing you and holding you back right now. Or you can obey the word of the Lord and you can do what he said, do. So you can have what he said you can have. He said, if you obey my commandments, then you're going to be abiding in my love and my joy is going to be in you. Lay down that burden, Christian. Lay down that burden. Life too short to hate people. Life too short to be bitter. Life too short to wear your anger everywhere you go. Life too short for you to always worry. Listen, one of the wisest things anybody ever told me, and I'm done. I got a lot more to say, but I'm going to let you go because it's late. I had somebody ask me something. It, it, was, it, was, it was an opening at the moment. He said, dude, would you rather be right in this argument or would you just rather love your brother? And I told him, well, I got a commitment to righteousness. He said, no, I didn't say righteous. I said, he, he said, do you want to win this argument so bad that you do anything you have to do? To prove that you're right or could you just lay all that down and love your brother and then I got a real revelation of there being more than one way to lay down my life for my brother and everybody in this room has a burden that they need to lay down we all got pet peeves we all got things that bother us we all got things that set us off some of us a little bit more OCD than, than we, we wish we were well, I tell people all the time, it's hard living in my head. I, st I, st I see every crooked banner on the back of that wall every time I come in here. I see which one. I, I see the gap being so big between some and narrow. I mean, it's just hard to live in some people's head. But whether you easy to deal with or hard to deal with, I want to tell you something. We all have a commandment to love each other. This is the Lord's commandment to love each other. But I have a reason. Jesus had a reason to hate people. He just wouldn't because he didn't bring his father any glory. Jesus had a reason to reject all of us, but he didn't. He said, whosoever comes to me, I will in no wise turn them away. Jesus had a reason to say no to all of us, but he said yes. And this is what I realized in the biggest, biggest scheme of it all. I've done a lot wrong in my life. And God has forgiven me for all of it. And if God can forgive us for the wrong that we've done, we ought to forgive each other for whatever wrong has ever been done. See, there's a price. Real love pays the price. And the price is lay it down. Walk away from it. 
choose love over hate. Dr. King told us years ago, you, you, you can't conquer hate with hate. You can't beat hate with hate. Only love wins. So you have to choose to love people. If you're going to walk around only loving people that deserve your love, you, you're not going to live this scripture. But if you live this scripture, you'll learn how to love everybody, even when you have to let them have the win. Even when you have to let them take the bigger slice. Even when you have to let them take the high road and you take the low road. Jesus is our perfect example. He laid down his life for us and he showed us what real love is. And we have to lay down our lives for each other. I'm not going to take the time to drag you up here and have everybody pray. But I hope that you've heard something today that will cause you to forgive somebody. Cause you to love somebody. Cause you to let go of some things. I hope that you will let go of some things and choose God. Choose God's way. God's way is always right. All of our ways are wrong at times and, and, and many times more than we wish they would be. But God's ways are always right. Let's choose to remain in his love by obeying what he told us to do. What he told us to do is love each other. And I want you to spend every minute of the rest of your life doing everything you can to love God and to love people. If you're here and you're not saved, you need to get saved. You don't have to walk an aisle, pray a prayer, shake my hand to get saved. The Bible says if you'll call on the Lord, he'll save you. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you can be saved. If you ask God to save you, he'll save you. He said if you ask him to forgive you of your sins, he'll forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you're here and you are saved, let's get on with it. Let's get on with it. We got a world that needs to see God. I wish God would just show up in the sky and just boom a big voice over and tell everybody everything he wants them to know. I really do. Make my job easy. It's not what he's going to do. He chose us to be his hands and feet. He chose us to be his message carrier. He chose us to reveal his glory through us. Let's get on with it. You got to let some stuff go so you can embrace what God has for you. You got to let go of things before you can grab hold of new things. Let it go. Let God have his way in your life. Pray with me. God, thank you for paying the price for us. Thank you for showing us what real love does and what real love is. We understand it through your example. That real love gives up its everything the object of that love it's so easy to love you God it's so easy to be thankful for you it's so easy to spend time with you God I pray that you would help us to love each other the way you've called us to Help us to do the hard work of dying to ourselves. Help us to do the hard work and pay the price of godly relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We love you, Lord. We thank you for loving us.
God, I pray that you would help us to rally around what makes us one and brings unity and to let go of the things that divide us. Thank you, God, for desiring to put your joy in us so that our joy could overflow. Lord, I pray for overflowing joy in my own life. I pray for overflowing joy in the life of everyone in this room, God. Let us remain in your love. Let us obey your commandment. Let us love you. And let us love each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Above Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.